0: Forty-two. The following program is sponsored by Rosenthal Wealth Management. It's time now for Making Money Sense, live with Larry Rosenthal. Larry is recognized as one of the nation's leading financial and retirement planners and is here to answer your questions right now. Author, speaker, and talk show host Larry Rosenthal is dedicated to teaching others financial stewardship from a biblical point of view. Call Larry now. Studio lines are open at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. Making Money Sense is
1: on the air. Well, welcome once again to the Larry Rosenthal show, Making Money Sense. And uh, this is Chris McKay. Larry is not with us this week. We've got a couple of really wonderful guests in studio that are going to take care of business for us. It takes three to, to replace Larry, I guess, or maybe four. But we've got the t- two really good financial planners. They're from the Larry Rosenthal office, Rosenthal Wealth Management, with us. Guys that I've known for a little while and are really on the top of their games. Rob Holdcroft and Scott Slakem are with us here today to talk a little bit about what's going on with the economy. And any questions that you have? With regards to financial planning, 855-767-3123. We've got the frozen chosen guy in the background, um, Bob uh, Jones, taking care of the phones for us. So we thank him for that here today. Again, eight five five seven six seven three one two three. And let's see, we've got uh, our two guests here. They each have two minutes to respond. Oh wait, guys, that was last week, wasn't it? During the vice <laughs> vice president's debate. So we'll, we'll 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 stay away from that for sure. Those politics will kill us. Anyways, that was a rough. Those are a rough couple of debates that we've seen over the last little while. But interesting stuff happening in politics. And speaking of that, the economy. I'm kind of wondering why it isn't being affected a little bit by this. And we'll go to you first, Rob, with the answer to that question. I mean. Yesterday's markets were just kind of out, of out of the park, and you would think that there would be a little bit of confusion as to direction of where things are going. Or So why were the markets so high yesterday?
2: Hey, Chris. Yeah, um, that's right. It's a little interesting. We actually had a, a positive week, we finished the week positive uh, on Friday there. And um, you know, part of that might be just uh, us coming off of a little bit of a decline uh, the, the weeks before. You know, we had – the market ran up pretty substantially Uh through kind of the summer months there and uh, had a little bit of a pullback in September. Markets definitely do like certainty. Uh Um, Clarity of direction is important for the markets. And uh, as we kind of approach, you know, election season here, uh, we're still dealing with the the effects of the virus. All of that's important. Uh, But, you know, there are some backdrops to the the, the economy and the markets that are good. And, you know, as part of the ebbs and flows of the markets to kind of see – yeah you know, after a 10% pullback like we we saw in September to see a little bit of a rebound and that's not unheard of and and maybe a little repricing was was good for the market. investors have felt like maybe there's an entry point there to get back in
1: yeah well i kind of agree with that definitely kind of the rubber band effect uh, scott are you kind of in agreement with that is that kind of how you see it
3: yeah I, I do for for just the recent turn of last week i mean what we're really seeing here is a lot of volatility some of its headline news People are still waiting for the next round of stimulus, uh, the election, virus fears. So as we kind of break this thing down deeper and take a little bit more of a deeper look, what we're kind of seeing is a K-shaped recovery where certain sectors, tech, U.S. growth, they're kind of moving forward and still seeing a little struggling in the travel, airline, banking industry. So there really is some divergence going on here. Well, I had heard, and it was interesting
1: that you bring up the airline industry. I did hear not that long ago where – there was uh, some desire on behalf of the current administration to bail them out. There was uh, some discussion about that as part of the stimulus package. Now, where is the stimulus package? Are we going to get over the? Are we going to get over that hump, or is it just going to sit out there and everybody's going to try to pander for their special benefits?
3: Yeah, there's some political fodder going on there for sure. I mean, you know, the people, the public, screaming out for the next round of stimulus, and and this this thing's tied up in Washington. I don't know whether we're going to get action on this prior to the election or not. I think that's one of the big uncertainties that we are feeling right now. Uh, There's no question that this one's going to back some of the politicians right into a corner. So we're kind of anxious to see how that's going to play out prior to the election.
1: So, yeah, we've got a lot of people in trouble right now from a business standpoint. So they're all kind of waiting on that uh, stimulus package and hopefully it'll come around. A lot of this was caused by coronavirus, I would think. And Rob, you you kind of... uh, Kind of been thinking about that a little bit as well, and that the markets have been kind of hurt by coronavirus. What are your thoughts on on
2: how they're going to rebound or what's going to happen with that next? Yeah, um, the, um, you know, clearly we've had economic devastation from the pandemic, um, and we're dealing with that, and we're actually part of the recovery uh, we're in the kind of the recovery mode now as things have started to open up. And if we track economic data points, our leading economic indicators, we've seen a rebound from the bottom. Uh, but we still have a damaged economy. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, the markets themselves have actually been trading. Uh, we're 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 well in positive territory for the year. If you look at the S and P 500, we're we're over seven percent uh, year to date from January. So we've gotten through the worst part of this from a market perspective. And uh, almost a little confusing to to see. The market's so high for some people, and knowing that we still got some damage from the pandemic in the economy, um, it's a question we get oftentimes. Uh, why worry is there a disconnect, you know, between the two. Um, but uh, really, this is very common. Markets tend to lead the way out of of, uh, of an economic recovery. Markets are always looking down the road into the future, um, and so. The idea that you know, markets are higher now isn't surprising to us. We're looking at future earnings or expected earnings of companies. And uh, you know one year can disrupt that to a certain degree, but it doesn't change if we think a strong company is gonna do well years down the road. Uh, it, it, it's, it's a small factor in the overall equation there. So um, you know we, we are well on our way to a recovery here with, with, um, with stocks themselves. And we're gonna see more of that to follow with the economic data, hopefully in the, in the coming months.
1: Hey, if you'd like to dial in, eight five five seven six seven three one two three 767 3123 is our phone number, 855-ROSE-123. So, Scott, given the situation with the economy and everyone's concerned about a few things, I'm just going to ask you a, a couple of questions about uh, whether you think that the um, uh, vaccine, which hopefully is coming, right, um, it depends on who you listen to. If, if we get that vaccine, we're going to see a pop and hopefully a, quite a bit of a change. Do you think we'll see a big change or is it already built into the markets?
3: Yeah, so some of that is built into the market already, Chris, but there's no question that a lot of the money that moved to the sidelines, I mean, through June, there was a pretty big run-up in money moving into money markets. So I think the vaccine will definitely signal uh, a re-entry for the folks that pull out. Uh, You see retail investors tend to make those panicky moves and institutional investors stay invested. So yeah, I do believe the vaccine is going to help pick the economy back up and certainly put the confidence back into the markets and the uh, the day-to-day retail-type investor.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Hey, listen, if you'd
1: like to dial in, again, that number is 855-767-3123. Rob Holcroft and Scott Slickham are here answering our phones today. They are financial planners indeed, the Rosenthal Wealth Management Group, and you're welcome to give us a call and ask us any questions. Any questions? Well, maybe not any questions. We, we'll, 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 there may be one or two that, uh, that I would be afraid to answer, but these guys can answer them. They're, they're great at uh, fielding these. Um, so just let's talk about some basic blocking and tackling and some of the things that we should be doing as individual investors and kind of looking at our retirement. How in the world are we going to kind of make sure that things kind of stay on track? Um, kind of Scott, I'll throw that to you. Um, especially those guys that are kind of getting – towards that 65 mark that's a golden number for a lot of folks um and, the, and how do they handle things like medicaid and medicare and and how do they get all that planning out of the way i mean does it, it seems like a little daunting you've been working all your life and all of a sudden oh no i gotta do a medicare i gotta make sure i gotta have to retire on what are your thoughts on that
3: so it- we have a pretty intensely age-based system and you know it, people tend to lose track of what these important age numbers are 62 being your earliest social security 65 medicare you know 67 full social and, you know 70 after that so there, there's a lot going on in that area but i tell folks if you're in that two year window before age 65 that's really the time to kind of peel peel back the wrapper and and start to lay out the plan. Um, just to, to focus on Medicare for a moment, this is an area that doesn't get a lot of talking from financial advisors. There's just not a lot that goes on there, and people are kind of left to, to kind of navigate this on their own. So I'll lay out the basic groundwork for what most people go through when it comes to that 65-age uh, Medicare window. Um, the first thing to know is there's a seven-month enrollment period when it comes to Medicare getting on to Medicare. So I tell people it's those three months before you turn 65, the month that you turn 65, and the three after. So for most folks, they need to get into that Medicare Part A in that three month prior to their 65 window. I won't go through all the details today here in the call, but just to give you an idea, you know, you've gone through your whole working career with one single health insurance plan, which is pretty simple, And now just when you're getting a little bit older, when you'd like it to stay simple, it's a pretty complex system with up to four separate plans, Part A, Part B, Part D, and then a supplement of your choice. So for folks who are still working and have coverage through their employer, it's very, very important to understand how your employer insurance coordinates with Medicare, Uh, The average person needs to get A no matter what, and then whether you need to get your B will depend on whether you're still working and or have those coverages. So this is pretty important stuff. Um, Most of the things in financial planning, if you make a mistake, you can correct it or it will sort itself out over time. Medicare is one that you get one chance to get it right. Um, They don't give you a redo. So if you get this one wrong, it ends up being a permanent haircut. And, and where that becomes problem, Chris, is when people don't know when to join Part B. Um, if you've got questions, those are things that you should get with an advisor or a planner. If you're already working with an advisor, and if you're not by age 63, you should be. But this is that two-year window of coordination that I recommend people do um, leading into that age 65.
1: Wow. Yeah, so you only get one shot at that, huh? That's a little bit scary.
3: <laughs> it is, and they put a per- they put a permanent penalty it 'll come off your social security check um, if you don 't get that right, get that proper plan B enrollment time down to a t um, and I tell people that that plan B starts at around a buck forty four a month and it is income based it can pretty much drive your premiums as high as about five hundred dollars a month, so wow. this is a real important one to get right and understand when you need to enroll and getting the right coverage there.
1: Well, keep that main number in line also. If you've got questions after the program, you can always call Scott or Rob and ask questions a little bit later on uh, during the week, 855-767-3123, 855-ROSE-123. Rachel's on the line with us from Silver Spring. What's your question here today, Rachel?
2: Good morning. Good morning. I'd like to have advice on um, for a, a beginner who's interested in investing in real estate and also investing in a real estate trust. What do you think, Rob? Yeah. Hi, Rachel. Um, Thanks for your question. uh, so there's there's a lot of different ways uh, to invest in real estate, which you kind of alluded to there, where you could have a you know a physical rental property, um, right, and, and manage that yourself. A real estate investment trust is another way you could go, which could be a publicly traded investment. Um, the the difference between the two, um, and the large part, is going to be how actively involved you're going to have to be with those investments. Um, uh, real estate investment trust is a way to access the real estate market uh, with a uh, you know publicly traded security uh, potentially that that uh, is a passive investment. So uh, you can actually hold that into into an investment account for yourself. Now we want to make sure that it's coordinated with your other investments, and, and real estate is a piece of a diversified portfolio. Um, so um, you know, as far as getting into uh, real estate, I think uh, you know. A, uh, a few things you know, from, a, from a beginner standpoint would be to, to make sure you're looking at, at everything you hold as far as investments, and if it's the right time for that type of investment. If it's a physical property, we want to make sure that it fits with your overall balance sheet um, you know, from a debt-to-asset ratio. Make sure we're not taking on too much risk in one category. If it's more of a real estate investment trust, we want to make sure we have the right amount of exposure to that kind of asset and that we're really planning for your overall goals, and we want to coordinate that as well. Now, real estate can uh, fall onto the more volatile side of a, a typical investment chart. So, you know, it's a, um, a rental property might, might look a little different as it's, it's more cash flow, um, produces more of a cash flow and more steady cash flows if you manage it. But it also requires more time commitment as well. So, so very different styles there, although they are technically kind of the same asset class uh, in, in the real estate area. Um, I would encourage you to actually sit down with an advisor if you're thinking about real estate investment, and uh, you know sit down and lay everything out to make sure that it fits with your overall financial plan and your portfolio.
1: I give you a chance to to. Uh we'll put you on hold and it, give you a chance to talk to, to bob about getting some information or a little bit more information on that but just to, anything to add to that scott i mean do you have to be a handy husband to be in the property management business isn't it better to be into <laughs> into uh just um the the paper side of that i guess is the one the way i would say it
3: yeah it takes a certain type of person to truly get involved in running and managing their own rental properties and we get this question a lot and we do have a lot of clients that do that that is a an area that we advise on. So you don't necessarily have to be a handyman, but you either need to have somebody willing to roll up their sleeves or you have to be willing to pay to do that. Um, The one thing that I do remind people all the time when they want to get into this arena is that these can tend to be illiquid assets. It's not a fast way to get your cash back. And when markets downturn, you could find a property sitting for a while. So my advice to anybody who's considering going into that uh, landlord rental type businesses, you need to have access to some equity and cash flow to be prepared for those months where you might not have a tenant or between tenants. That's where I tend to see people get in trouble is when they've got to pay the mortgage a couple months themselves uh, between uh, you know between rental properties there. So it's definitely, it's definitely a whole industry in and of itself. And I just tell people, make sure you've done the proper homework and make sure it's the right property before you go that route.
1: Rachel, how does it did that answer your question?
2: Yes, it did. Thank you so much for all of the valuable information. Um thank you. Thank you, thank you. And thanks for all that you do. I enjoyed listening to your radio station okay.
1: program. All right, Rachel, hang on just a second. For I'll I'll, uh, I'll send you over to Bob and and he'll get some more information from you and maybe help you out a little bit with the real estate investing po- you know project that you have going on. Eight five five seven six seven three one two three. 855 767 3123 so we're going to take a quick break here we'll be back with more of the Larry Rosenthal show here in just a minute taking more of your calls you can also watch on uh, youtube larryrosenthal.tv he's got a where, where you can see what these good looking young men look like And uh, you can get a little scared by Bob and I. But 855-767-3123. Give us a call now. We'll be back in more in just a minute with the Larry Rosenthal Show.
4: the cdfi.org your gift will help transform not only a disabled child's life but the lives of their parents and of the surrounding community go to the CDFI.org. make a difference go to the CDFI.org. Now nationwide and coast-to-coast from sea to shining sea, call now 855-767-3123. That's 855-ROSE-123. Live from the nation's capital, this is the Larry Rosenthal
1: Show. Glad to have you aboard, 855-767-3123. Thanks for listening to the Larry Rosenthal Show. Remember, you can listen at makingmoneysense.com. We're streaming live, and you can also watch us. On YouTube at uh, TV, The main website is LarryRosenthal.com, and you can go there at any time to kind of figure out what you're doing with regards to your financial plans. they got some cool stuff on that website. You'll find uh, how to do a financial plan, what one kind of looks like, and all kinds of goodies. Before the break, we were talking a little bit uh, about real estate investing, and I, I know, <laughs> I know, my wife uh, would do, would prefer that I do the paper. She's called me a handy husband on no more than one occasion, and uh, trying to change a light bulb is kind of a five-man job for me. So that is one thing I would not want to get into, guys. Is the real estate actual property management side of it? But you can you can make a little money when you're doing the, uh, the other side of it, if you're doing it right and well. So, hey, Rob, we're going over to you for this one. Um, you know, I've been getting all this crap in the mail. Frankly, I get a lot of people about refinance, refinance, refinance. Interest rates are at all-time low. You know, it's time for you to go ahead and uh, get a little bit of money out of the equity in your home. Um, what does that mean, actually, for – I know that it's a little bit different. It's not exactly tied to investments, but there is some correlation with regards to interest rates being really, really low right now. What does that mean?
2: Yeah, um, that's right, Chris. Yeah, we're in a very low interest rate environment. I think everyone's starting. You know, everyone realizes that for a number of different reasons. One is you can get a a lower rate on your your mortgage. Uh, That potentially can be a very good move if you lower your rate enough to lower your payments or shorten your term. On your mortgage, so that can be very important. It, it also is noticeable in the bank. Uh, if you look at your money market positions or your savings in the bank now, and then you look at the interest you get, uh, it's very very small these days. It makes it very difficult um, for that those types those the stable cash type investments to keep up with inflation. Um, so the uh, you know the low interest rate environment does does a number of things uh, for y- investors. Uh, you, one of the things it does is it kind of lowers the rate of return on the the, the cash or the bond side of the portfolio. If you think of a, a typical maybe a 60-40 type portfolio arrangement that, that's very popular as you kind of enter into retirement or around those retirement years, 40% of your assets might be in something that's a little bit safer, ah. maybe short-term bonds, intermediate-term bonds, cash-type assets where you get interest. And as the investor, when you take the investor side of that, you want higher interest, so you're paid more. It uh, helps you keep up with inflation, helps part uh, helps your portfolio uh, grow by reinvesting that interest. And now we're just in an environment where interest rates are very low. So well, it might help on, on mortgage rates. Uh, mm-hmm. It kind of hurts on the investment side to some degree. Um, You know, what does it mean for the average investor? Maybe it means a little bit lower returns uh, from, you know, a balanced portfolio going forward. It kind of depends on whether the equity side of the portfolio, maybe those growth assets are going to be able to make up for the lower interest rates. Um, but, but the environment we're in now looks like lower interest rates for at least the foreseeable future. You know, the next few years, the market's priced in, lower interest rate. We, we know we're going to have uh, lower interest rates from the Federal Reserve and, and what they can do with the, the short-term rates there. Uh, so uh, just something to plan for and to realize that that part of the portfolio may not get give you as much return, but it still provides stability. Uh, in yeah. a portfolio.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I, I hear this phrase all the time in financial planning about you need a balanced portfolio, a balanced portfolio. You need to get that going on. You need diversity. But is this a time in which you actually kind of change that balance? You kind of rebalance a little bit when it comes to interest rates? Uh,
2: you can, yeah. And actually, it, it's it, it's definitely time to reassess uh, the overall asset mix. Um, and and it's, it's one of those exercises that it it's Uh, a good idea to do regularly uh, just to look at your overall asset allocation. Um, But in a period like this, kind of as as I was mentioning before, where bonds historically have been able to provide uh, uh, at least an interest rate that provides an investment return to that side of the portfolio, as we we look kind of into the future and we see that high-quality bonds have lower interest rates, does it make sense to, to... to still hold as much in bonds and cash, and it might because that balances the risk in our portfolio. And some of it goes back to the overall risk profile we have Mm -hmm. as investors, but it's also tied back to your financial plan and the long-term expected rate of return that we need out of the financial plan to make sure we're meeting our goals. And uh, there are creative ways to sometimes keep risks uh, stable where they are, but perhaps move a little bit away from the typical bond type investments that you're used to, uh, which in today's environment uh, aren't producing the same level of return as as they have in the past.
1: I know from my standpoint and not being as educated as you are in the financial planning world, I would want to leave those wheels and turns and buttons and making that balance rate uh, to a financial planner, somebody who has a financial plan. So, Scott, I mean, Is that that something you would comment on, is that we we really need a financial planner to be able to get that balance right?
3: Yeah. The coordination, Chris, tying back into what Rob said earlier, we're really not up against the markets. We're up against the success of of your plan. So this is a very individualized approach. Um, But it's important that that risk be aligned with each person's plan. So I would say that it's extremely important. uh, But Again, this needs to kind of be a personalized assessment to where you're trying to get and really how much risk and return we need to get there. So, again, if you haven't sat down and kind of gone through that with an advisor or at least kind of gotten in check with your own uh, allocation, this is probably – a good as time as any to take a look at that well i kind of like
1: to follow up on that and ask you another question about that with regards to your risk assessment i know that's a big word in financial planning everybody talks about what your risk assessment is i mean how much that has to do with your balance between uh, stocks and uh, bonds and things of that nature
3: Yeah, that's correct. So the the way we look at it, the way we look at it is so the risk assessment really, when you break it down to what it really means, it's that diversification between stocks, bonds, and maybe any alternatives and cash that you're mixing in there. So the risk assessment can be done uh, through a combination of tools. That is one of the things we do offer here at Rosenthal Wealth Management is to do a risk assessment and then a portfolio assessment. But what often happens is people's risk tolerance isn't in line with the portfolio itself. And that's where mm-hmm. the importance of getting with a financial advisor comes into play, Chris, is that we have the ability to make the risk tolerance and the portfolio line up and match each other. And, and I think that's a real important part to note is that a lot of folks set that original allocation up, and after time they lose track of how much is in stocks, bonds, alternative investments, and there's usually very little – effort to ever go back and rebalance or then reassess the risk this is an ongoing process not a one-time set it and forget it approach mm-hmm. um, so you do need to kind of stay on top of that over time
1: i kind of call that my fear meter or checking my blood pressure if it gets a little bit higher that's that's where my risk assessment goes oh oh it's time to sell time to sell and then i you know, call your financial planner and he goes like hold on hold on take your blood pressure medicine calm down i mean you get a lot of that don't you, you? Got it. Uh, rob in this business you get folks that are a a little bit scared and and sometimes you just kind of have to fill out what's best for them as far as their fear level is concerned
2: yeah that that's right uh, Chris so that that's a big part of what goes into an individual's risk tolerance I always tell my clients when we're talking about this it's a, it's a very interesting discussion because um, you, you, someone's risk tolerance is a combination of things one one of them could is, is a little bit more technical in nature you could give me a case study on an individual and I could say you know based on what their balance sheet looks like, what their financial plan looks like, their age, how far away they are from retirement, where they should generally fall from a risk profile. But then there's another element to it, which is uh, their personal feeling towards fluctuations of their investments, uh, how they feel when the market's down, what what do they tend to do when the market's down. Do they tend to, to sell because they're nervous? Um, And can they sleep well at night knowing where their investments are and they feel comfortable with that? And there's that element to it as well. And we try to, we use a risk assessment sometimes, we use our conversations to pull that out of clients because um, that part is going to be vitally important to make sure that we stay on track with the financial plan. If we have made a a wonderful financial plan, have a great investment allocation, but we went too far on, on the risk side, and got a client nervous enough to sell it at a bad time in the markets, we may have totally disrupted the plan. So it's very important to coordinate all aspects whenever we're looking at a client's risk profile.
1: Gotcha. Uh, you know, interesting, Scott. So the, the trigger finger factor, I guess we could call it almost. Do you take, <laughs> do you take away that sells to that sell trigger and do the, do it as a financial planner and handle all that yourself? Or do you let the client handle those buys and sells?
3: yeah so it, it just that depends on the relationship but when you're working with an advisor and you have a plan in place there's usually a little less uh nervousness we don't quite see as many people making that trigger uh, the longer between communications with your advisor the more you're left to kind of wonder what's going to happen on your own so that's the importance of regular and routine meetings is it allows everybody to kind of be on the same page when it comes to that risk Um, Tying back to Rob's prior comment, when I get a phone call and somebody's nervous and wants out, that's usually a signal to kind of reassess the risk. It might not necessarily be time to get out. It might be time to talk about restructuring the portfolio. So these are all the signals as an advisor we look for. People tell us how they're feeling through their emotions, and it's really a combination of balancing what's financially right with what also is emotionally comfortable. Some people, you know, you'd rather sleep at night um, than worry about a percent or two. So it's just real important to, you know, kind of have your your plan in place so that you're not reacting to -to day-to-day news. (laughs) Uh, Very little is happening in one single day that matters for your overall plan later
1: yeah I admire I these guys try to
3: keep that in perspective,
1: yeah, no, I admire these guys who can actually sit there and watch their stocks all day long. It just makes me too nervous i 'll check it maybe in the morning and, and then maybe at night, but anywhere during the middle of the day, you know, and sometimes i don 't even do it at all. I just leave it alone for the rest of the week and then talk to my manager and figure it out later. Hey, listen, we'll continue with the Larry Rosenthal Show and your calls. Hey, dial us up if you have any questions about your financial plan or how to get on track or maybe get started investing with the Rosenthal Wealth Management. Here's the phone number, 855-767-3123, 855-ROSE-123. More of the Larry Rosenthal Show here in just a moment. Hang in there.
0: You are listening to Making Money Sense live with Larry Rosenthal. Phone lines are open for your retirement and financial planning questions at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. More Making Money Sense in a moment.
1: And here's another Money Minute with Larry Rosenthal. Proper financial
0: planning starts with a firm foundation. Don't jump up to the third rung of the ladder when you're trying to climb to the top of the roof. Make sure your insurance is aligned properly. Make sure you have the right types of homeowners, auto, umbrella, disability, long-term care, life insurance, just to name a few. Financial planning starts with a firm foundation, and that foundation is your insurance. Then take a look at your cash flow. Are you able to save money? Save it in the proper places. Retirement planning, traditional IRAs, traditional 401K plans, Roth IRAs. Make sure that the dollars are actually working for you towards your investment objectives.
4: You've seen and heard him on Fox Business, CNBC, and The Wall Street Journal. Larry Rosenthal is here right now to take your calls at 855-767-3123. That's 855-ROSE-123.
1: This is The Larry Rosenthal Show. Appreciate you listening. Actually, Larry's off today. We've got uh, Scott Slakem and Rob Holcroft, uh, both financial managers and planners, here in the studio with us. During the break, you know, I was thinking, Rob... <laughs> And that's dangerous right now when I start saying things like I'm thinking because, yeah, that's, that's a bit of an issue. I was thinking about the Costco trigger. You know, basically when stuff gets on sale, that's when you buy in, as, as regards to the stocks. And if they're really expensive, which are they now, uh, is this a good time to buy? Are we on sale? What's the deal?
2: Uh, that's, a, that's a good question, Chris. It's, we're kind of in a unique time frame right now on whether stocks are uh, expensive or if they're a good time to buy. It, it's uh, it's a kind of a tricky question. Here's the reason why is based on a traditional measure of whether stocks are expensive uh, or not, uh, we, we tend to use uh, the most common metric is price to earnings ratio, P-E ratio. Um, and if you look at the P.E. ratio now as compared to the 20-year average, uh, stocks are expensive. Stocks', stocks price-to-earnings ratio is, is high. Um, so generally speaking, if something's high, you'd think, well, maybe now's not the best time to buy. Uh, but the reason why I say it's a little tricky is because we have to look at the context here as well. That price-to-earnings ratio has a couple components to it. Um, the, uh, the earnings of the companies is really we're looking at the next 12 months earnings typically when we look at the price to earnings ratio and we might be in a time frame here where temporarily earnings may be a little bit lower uh, than than what long-term earnings may eventually be for these companies so one reason why that that they might look a little high uh and and then the other another factor here is low interest rates uh low interest rates for a couple reasons one is it kind of pushes assets that might be in more bond type assets over to the equity markets to elevate prices. But another reason is, is that it changes the, the discount uh, mathematically of future cash flows with companies. So it's actually, you know, we don't have to get on the, you know, the technical aspect of it all, but it actually encourages higher equity prices. Mm -hmm. So if we, if we understand where we are currently with low interest rates um, with kind of being in the middle of a recovery you know technically price earnings ratio of of stocks is high but it it can be justified and warranted now and i don't know that it's necessarily a bad time to be invested in stocks um you know the question would really be where have you been before this and are we dumping money into stocks or how what's that approach look like Um, but certainly not a bad time to be holding stocks in, in a typical portfolio
1: gotcha okay uh Scott, you have 30 seconds uninterrupted to answer, right? No, just kidding. Um, what, how about the coronavirus? How, do, how does that factor in? I mean, with regards to what Rob was talking about um, and the price-to-earnings ratio, doesn't that kind of throw everything out the window and kind of off a little bit as far as those earnings are concerned?
3: Yeah, so it did It did change the projection of the earnings. I mean, obviously, not all companies are participating equally in the recovery. As I mentioned at the opening of the show, we had that k K recovery where some things are moving up and some things are kind of staying and moving down, so there's no question that the the corona has has played into this. There are still businesses that without the next round of stimulus might actually close their doors. Mm-hmm. So I tell people this this is a good time to be invested in high quality. Um, one of the things that we had done is looked at balance sheets prior to this, make sure companies you know had strong balance sheets. They had done a lot of their refinancing of debt prior to all this. So it is very, very important to kind of know what you're investing in. This is definitely not a time where you just throw a dart. Uh, You need to be very concentrated with high-quality picks. Mm -hmm. Uh, Don't get too far down the risk ladder when it comes to the the volatility that we're seeing right now.
1: So Speaking of small businesses and uh, that kind of a thing with regards to how things are going with the coronavirus, you know, we think of uh, small businesses a little bit differently. If you're a small business owner, you're kind of throwing everything into your business, and sometimes you just forget that. Hey, wait a minute! One day I'm going to have to hang up my my sword here. I'm going to have to hang up my sword, <laughs> hang up my boots. I'm going to have to stop uh, doing things. And what about my retirement? How do how do I save? Because yep. a lot of times that's the last thing on a business owner's mind. Hey, Scott.
3: You know, Chris, that's a really good point, and I'll I'll just backtrack into that where you started that comment just for a second. Tip- typical business owners, small business owners, they know their business, and it's not uncommon for them to invest every ounce of their resources into that business. But mm-hmm. there's an old adage that says, pay yourself first. So one of the things that you have to realize is if your business itself isn't going to be your retirement plan, meaning are you running a business that's going to have a for sale sign on it at your retirement, and that's where the money comes from? That's great, but many businesses are only—they're uh, only making money while you're working in them, and there isn't a big payday at the end. And for these folks, I tell them, you have unique opportunities for saving for retirement in addition to the traditional and Roth IRA. That everybody has available to them. Our small business owners have some very unique opportunities, Chris. There are three plans I'll just touch on real briefly. The simple IRA plan, that needed to have been set up by October 1st, so if you don't have one, you might have missed that window. It's a great plan. The SEP IRA plan allows self-employeds to put as much as $57,000 away in 2020. This is a really big opportunity for those folks who may have done well despite the coronavirus and and find themselves in a situation where they do have profits this year and they're worried about taxes. So I tell people, take advantage of these types of plans. And then there's a third plan, if you have never heard of it, called a solo K or a single K. This is pretty much best used for mom and pop type business owners, husband, wife, uh, two partners. But again, this has a $57,000 contribution limit and it can be done as both a deferral and a company-matched profit-type sharing program. So there's a lot of opportunity out there for our small business owners, and it's just real important that they make this a priority and that they're paying themselves first and saving for retirement. Um this is probably one of the biggest overlooked areas for our small business owners is they get so used to working in and on the business that they aren't paying themselves first and making that an important part of the plan, Chris.
1: Really good points. Uh, and on that same kind of topic, Rob, with regards to these different buckets in which you, know, you say a retired person or somebody who owns their own business and is starting to save for retirement, um, the, the SEP IRA is something I've got, and I, and I work with it with regards to – I also have a Roth. So what I ended up doing is sometimes I would convert some of that money as the, as the SEP starts to get up there in, in price, and we convert that into a Roth. How wise is that, and when should you do those little tiny conversions to kind of save you some money on taxes down the road?
2: Yeah, that's a good, cre- a good question, Chris. The um, And it kind of goes back to tax allocation planning here. And, you know, you hear Scott talk about these retirement plans where we can maximize how much we're getting into a tax-favored investment, something that's designed for retirement, that the IRS allows us tax advantages for us to, to contribute into, um, whether we get tax deduction now or later. Uh, it's kind of a difference between your traditional retirement plans, like, you know, the the pre-tax 401K or IRA or uh, uh, the Roth, which was kind of the other side of that, where we take our tax deduction down the road, we don't pay any taxes as it grows. Um, and then how do we balance between those, those accounts? And there's no steadfast answer on the, on the exact timing of when one person should do it versus another or what time of year or what dollar amount. Um, but it really ties back to our overall tax allocation strategy and our financial plan. One way to look at this, I can kind of teach you the, the method to go through here, um, but when we look at how much uh, money we have on, in, in our various tax buckets, uh, we want to consider the fact that more flexibility in retirement is going to give us more options for changes in the tax code or various years of, inve- uh, of income so that we can plan better and be more tax efficient. So, so having assets spread between the different tax buckets, we call them, is a good thing. Um, When it comes to deciding when to do a conversion, you know, some of that is what does tax bracket look like today versus what tax bracket might look like tomorrow? Uh, That's a big factor. Uh, uh, Wow, how do you forecast something like that?
1: What it's going to look like tomorrow, especially in this, this environment. You never know what taxes are going to be like. Depends on the election, too, right?
2: Right, right. And there's an element to that that is unknown. Um, And so we do have to project that. But one of the best ways to do that, Chris, is to use a financial plan. Mm -hmm. A financial plan is really our model for the future. Um, So what we're going to do is we're going to use the most reasonable assumptions we can come up with based on the information we have today. And we're going to model what the future may look like. And uh, tax rates do change. They have over time. Do we expect that they will in the future? Um, And that's okay. But we can get a general sense of of where we're going to be from an income standpoint by, by running a financial plan mm-hmm. um, and, and how much money needs to be withdrawn from retirement accounts. And we know uh, – and it kind of goes back to that that having – assets in different buckets gives us a little more flexibility to access either tax-free money in retirement or to access taxable money when we find that we're in a lower tax bracket and we can take advantage of that. Um, yeah. So sometimes that flexibility helps us with the uncertainty of that in the future, but really a financial plan is going to help us map that out. You know, I
1: was just, I was just thinking, uh, and again, and that's the dangerous thing, um, Scott, when it comes to uh, retirement, uh, <laughs> can't i borrow i mean i'm making a like you're making a decent amount of money in your in your make in your in your earnings years the interest rates are low why can't you just borrow a bunch of money and throw that into investments can you do that
3: (laughs) no that's 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 a little bit of a taboo there Chris, Uh and and that does come up (laughs) that does come up periodically but using borrowed money to invest is kind of a an industry no-no. Um, you're taking a loan and which could potentially be a risky investment. So we don't encourage that. Years ago, you used to hear people talk about using their home equity to make those kind of investments. But no, that's when I run through a financial plan with a client, it never includes borrowing money to invest. Mm. Um, the investments come through savings and excess income into your cash flow. So I tell people, and I know Larry's mentioned this many times on the show, it's about going through, making sure your risk has been assessed, and then those extra monies you direct into your retirement plans or your, your outside retirement plan savings.
1: You and a lot of people there, don't right?
3: realize, Chris, tying back into that previous comment, they've they've been adding Roth features to the bulk of 401ks now. So a lot of folks have the ability to start building money in that other tax bucket that Robbie mentioned even while they're working prior to converting to a Roth. So if you have not inquired into your your plan, things like the TSP now have a Roth, many 401Ks have a Roth, and even the solo Ks that I mentioned now have a Roth feature. So take advantage of that, ask questions, get with an advisor.
1: Wow. Um, when you're investing, you've done all this investment for all these years, and you've got this pile of money. The IRS is coming for you about 70 and a half, right? They're going to say it's about time you start giving some of that money back to us. Is that right? Is that that 70 half is that magic number, right?
3: No, Chris. And this is one that we need to make sure everybody's aware of. There has been a curveball. It's it snuck out right around Christmas time in 2019, and it was under the SECURE Act. So just remember, if, if you had that 70 and a half number locked in your head, that has now been pushed back to age 72. Wow. So let's think about this. Is that, who is that good news for? Is that good news for the investor, the IRS, your heirs? Um, You know, we have to kind of scratch our head for a second and, and assess who really is benefiting from the age 72. But my comment here would be, is this is probably the biggest opportunity to get the next generation involved. Um, not only did they push back the required minimum distribution age to 72, your children can no longer stretch that IRA uh, out after you pass away. So I see this as a planning opportunity, Chris. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's time to take a, a, a overall view of the plan again, and you know make sure we understand what this new rule means uh, in the deferral of our required minimum distributions. Wow. Yeah, and
1: it's on the other side of that seventy and a half down when you're getting you're a lot younger and you're kind of getting started with investing Rob um when is the best time to get in i mean early right as early as you
2: can right right well um it, it is important to start early and often with investing it you know it's When when you're younger, there's a compounding effect to it. Um, So, adding to retirement plans when when you're young um, gives it a long time to grow. There's there's, the major factors involved with investing is going to be length of time and rate of return over that time frame, and you get this compounding effect. Um, So, yeah, it is very important to get started early. Um, You know. As far as uh, when you get started investing early, the tools are there for a lot of individuals to start at a young age, whether it's with a 401K through work or starting with an IRA on their own. Um, It's also important as you're getting closer to those retirement years, even to start a financial plan early. Um, You know, oftentimes we see uh, folks come to us in about the year of retirement saying, now it's time (laughs) to do a financial plan because I'm getting ready to retire. (laughs) uh, The train has left the station, right? (laughs) right well and and what I always say is if if you come six months before retirement there's you you we don't have quite as many levers to pull to change mm. the outcome if we don't like it. if everything looks good then hey we we got there i guess ahead of time without uh you know without looking at it but uh if we do want to make changes uh, it's good to have a number of years to be able to implement some changes so that we get the outcome we want uh in our retirement and in all of our goals, legacy goals and, um, and retirement goals. So, you know, as far as the financial plan goes, I think that that's something to start early as well. Not only investing early, but starting the planning process early, I'd say as early as, you know, five to 10 years before your retirement date is a good time to start putting the pieces together. As as long as you see that date in, in your, in your future on the horizon, and we can, and we can, you know, put a put a placeholder there and start to plan around it. I think it's a good time to get started with, with the whole planning process.
1: Yeah. 855 767 855 rose123 if you'd like to dial in with any of your questions for our financial planners here sitting in for Larry Rosenthal 855-767-3123. Hey, let's talk about some year-end planning, uh, Scott. I mean, the, <laughs> look at the date. We're almost done with this year. It's in the it's almost in the in the uh yearbook.
3: You're right. You're right, Chris. You know, it, it. it's hard to not focus on the headline news. So I, I tell people, as we're kind of pulling into the end of the year, you really don't, you know, focusing on the outcome of the election should not be our main focus as we're going into the year. I tell people, you know, make sure your personal situation, your relationship with God, these are the things that are most important. Um We're competing with each person's individual goals and plans. So as we're coming into the end of the year, I tell people this is a good time to get financially organized. And what I mean by that, there's really three components of that financial organization. People should know exactly how much income comes into their household, and they should know exactly what their bare minimum fixed expenses are to keep everything in order, and then that extra piece is how you're spending the rest of the money above that um i think that if people take the time as we're nearing year end to kind of take that exercise and put that together It'll kind of allow you to set the goals that will really redirect you onto what is important and maybe not so much of the politics, the news, mm-hmm. you know, even the virus, but get more in line with what's important to you. That's my advice going into the end of the year here, Chris.
1: Oh, well, that's a good advice. I mean, it's been 2020 has been one of those years. It's been a real roller coaster going up and going down. But we have done some things differently in 2020, Rob. We've started using technology a lot more for financial planning, right? And, and is there a, a really good way to go down that road? I mean, I know you guys do a lot of Zoom calls, but what else do you do to uh, help out with uh, with regards to technology?
2: Yeah, that's right. Actually, 2020 has been an acceleration in the use of the technology that we've, we've, we've had here in financial planning uh, big time. Um, we've had to adjust our firm just like everyone else's. During this time frame, we've interacted with clients virtually in a lot of different ways, whether by phone or Zoom calls. Um, technology has vastly changed our industry uh, in a lot of different ways you know from the from the the tools that we can use and access as advisors to help our clients um, they continually improve uh, you know just back to the the, the the complexity of our financial plan models we build for our clients uh, those have a lot of detail in them uh, a lot of information and we're able to do those relatively quickly and easily and adjust uh, scenarios for our clients as we go um, so uh, there, there's very unique tools we can use on the, on the planning side as well as the investment side um, it really helps us analyze investments in a way um, that that planners and investment advisors weren't able to do years ago. Uh, we can do portfolio analysis uh, for our clients. Actually, one of the things we offer here is the ability to do a risk assessment. I can get your portfolio risk down to a data point um, and, and present that to someone just using the technology we have. We have uh, screeners, investment screeners that, that help us pick you know, the best investments in any particular category and help us fill our client portfolios with, with, uh, with very strong, high-quality investments. Um, using all kinds of different data points. So the landscape with technology has been changing very rapidly for us. And it's important to embrace those types of technologies so we can use them with our clients to help uh, you know, facilitate good planning, um, good modeling, and, and, and good investment management.
1: Yeah. Perfect answer for that. You guys are in the office now. And uh, Scott, I know that you, a lot of folks do have this concern about, you know, the coronavirus and social distancing and, you know, they're not always going to want to come downtown to see you in your office. And I know that you guys do a lot of, (laughs) a lot of remote kind of stuff. Can you do everything? I know that that the plans are really cool because I know I've seen where you can actually see all of your investments in one place. There's an option for that, right? What are your thoughts on that?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Interesting. Prior to the coronavirus, obviously, people drove a long distance and would come in for their personal meeting and we'd show it all on the screen. But we do have the ability now with with the uh, technology, we're able to basically bring your financial plan right up on the screen. So I tell people it, it is nice when you're able to see all of your assets right in one place. You're also able to see the outcomes of your projected cash flow in the future. So, yeah, this has been real nice. There's a sharing feature, um, you know, on the uh, the software that we use now where we can pretty much come right into your living room or bring you right into our office with the computer. So this is working out great. Um, you know, even an older guy like me has gone from zero to 60 in this, <laughs> you know, in this new technology world. So, Um, I'm loving it, and it's just changed the dynamics of the relationship. Um, It allows us to actually reach out and touch clients more often, and this has been basically an improvement, I believe, and will be in the future as well.
1: All right. Well, listen, I want to see you guys do this from the from the fishing hole sometime, try to do a financial plan from a fishing hole. Do like, you think you guys could do that? that? That would be awesome. Hey, thanks for joining us, guys. You yeah, were awesome. Good. Appreciate your advice and your, your wisdom. Remember, these guys are available for you to talk to at Larry Rosenthal's office, Rosenthal Wealth Management at 855-767-3123, 855-ROSE123. You can call that number during the week at any time. You can also watch this show again here in a little while. Uh, if you would like, actually listen to it at LarryRosenthal.com or MakingMoneySense.com. For for the rock star in the back answering the phones, my my buddy uh, Bob Jones, appreciate your help there. And for uh, Scott and for Rob, my name is Chris McKay. And we'll catch you again next time on another edition of the Larry Rosenthal Show. And we appreciate you listening. Hopefully, you'll be able to listen to us again next time. Have a great week.